Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Rachid Dayal about empathetic leadership and high-performance startup teams. Rachit Dayal, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it is a pleasure to be with you today. I am super excited to have a conversation around empathetic leadership in high-performance startup teams. You're joining us from Singapore uh, across the world. It's late afternoon for me here south of Salt Lake City in Utah, early morning for you. I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule before your daily travels and work uh, to meet with me and have a nice conversation and share your insights with me and my listeners. As we get started, I just wanted to share Rachit's bio with everybody. Rachit Dayal is the CEO of two marketing companies in Singapore, Happy Marketer and Future Marketer. With 15 years of training, more than 5,000 executives on digital marketing, he is at the forefront of search marketing and analytics in Asia. Now, I could go on and on with a whole lot about your background, but I did want to give you a chance to share with listeners anything else uh, about yourself that you would like them to know uh, just by way of additional background and personal context. Yeah, I guess maybe something interesting about this is we I started the companies in about 2005 and over the last 16 years, we grew them to a certain size. And two years ago, we actually sold the company and became part of a larger group. And we integrated into sort of HR and people processes in one of the largest uh, companies in, in the world or in our industry. And so it's been interesting from a human capital perspective to observe, you know, a one man show and then a small group of three to five people. And then, you know, groups of uh, teams of 10 and 20 and 50 and hundred and, now, as that that group melds into a group of forty thousand people globally, um, I've I've loved, and it's very fascinating to see how people think and how they work and what gets them ticked off and what gets them excited. Um, and so, I'm very very happy to speak with you today. Yeah, that's just super interesting. the The world of startups and then building the organization and scaling is. A, a totally different beast and a different world from a human capital perspective. And so that's really the kind of the niche and the focus that we're going to take today as we talk about um, empathetic leadership. Uh, but of course, as you said, now you're part of a larger organization, 40,000 employees, I, I, a tangential, very equally important um, part of the conversation is how do you then mesh with that larger company uh, how do you adapt and adjust to their culture and the new expectations? And, and how, do, how do you maintain kind of the core of who you are as a startup team that has grown over time and now adapting to being part of this much larger, larger organization? So these are all the types of things that we will be uh, addressing and exploring together as we go throughout our conversation today. Uh, I, I think as we get started, it would be super interesting to me if you could 
just walk us through kind of the timeline of starting these companies. And as you said, you have you started up and then you have your, your founding team that starts to grow. Uh, pretty soon you have a dozen, two dozen people, 50, 100. Um, walk us kind of through that and some of the human capital challenges that you faced as you went through that process. Yeah, um, so I started in 2005, um, right out of university. So I graduated from, from uni and then uh, I started a business and I was super pumped. And I guess, you know, people see the interesting articles and videos about startups, but what they might not realize is it's extremely lonely journey. And it was just me for four, four and a half years before I managed to attract my first business partner in. And then there was two of us for about two years. And then there were three of us for about six years, uh, you know, another two years. And so really like seven, six to seven years into the journey, the team was just three. And so that also, you know, I'm a, I'm a young person who's never managed a team, never worked in the company. And so everything gets learned from scratch. And, uh, now we're in about 2011, there's three partners in the business and we finally want to grow and every lesson is brand new. And the first lesson for us, um, you know, we're based in Singapore. Um, everyone in the business is Asian of some sort, uh, you know, with Chinese heritage or Indian heritage or Southeast Asian heritage. And, uh, and so, the, the, you know, what we realize is uh, maybe the, the most difficult thing in all of this is to convince people that there's no stigma with startups because now they're hot, everybody gets funding, but that wasn't always the case. And 10, 15 years ago, you know, you wouldn't really want your kids joining an unknown startup or, you know, maybe messing up their career paths. Um, and so then we start figuring out the problem of attracting people. Like why would someone want to work for us when they could work for a Microsoft and IBM, uh, one of the cool startups that shows up in the newspaper or, you know, someone the politicians talk about as a model company. And that's really the crux of, I think, where we got into problem solving and culture building. Um, and then, you know, once we kind of unlocked that for the first five people, then it became a lot easier because those five people then attracted the next bit and the next bit and the next bit. Um, so that's kind of the life cycle where, you know, it was a very lonely journey for a long time. And the first sort of four years back out from the wilderness of aloneness is uh, just dealing with business partners. And only then we get into the human capital problems. And I guess, you know, maybe not all founders will have such a long cycle of aloneness, but, but you know, it's, there's some interesting lessons that I'd, I'd love to talk about. Yeah. And that's interesting. Uh, like sometimes there is a founding team, multiple people in your case, it was you by yourself for a number of years, and then you add a person, then you add a few more people. And, and over time you have this low scaling. And so I suppose that it just illustrates that every startup is different. Every situation is different. Uh, and so there is no one size fits all to, to the best ways to approach this, right? Um, the loneliness of being a solopreneur uh, is, is certainly a challenge when, when you have a startup uh, trying to deal with, with those sorts of things and just being wearing all hats and being all things to your customers, uh, of course, has its own set of challenges. Um, I'm curious what some of those early challenges were that you faced as you went from one person to two to three to, to having a bit of a, a larger team. Uh, what were some of those early challenges as you started to, to divide up the functional roles um, amongst your team? Yeah, so I guess for context, you know, we started off from a place, like you said, as a solopreneur and where we ended up before our acquisition, which I would say is the, the lessons we draw from, was we were maybe the most celebrated uh, company in, in the industry of marketing. 
in the marketing world in Singapore and this region, we were the most celebrated, most awarded company for culture. And so, you know, that, that I consider our greatest achievement more so than revenue or acquisition. And so great question, which is how, what are the building blocks that, that get us there? And I guess the first lesson comes from the aloneness of knowing that, you know, this is really hard. And so anybody else that I managed to bring onto the business, man, I'm thankful for you. Like, thank you for taking the gamble on the business. Um, thank you for your nights and weekends. And this is a creative industry. There's no set process in place. Every day we wake up to a new problem. You know, new client walks in, new industry. They've never solved this problem before. They want to launch a product. They want to beat a competitor. Um, they just want to figure out what, what the heck to make. Um, and so it's a brand new problem. And so just, uh, you know, the kind of gratefulness for every colleague for actually just putting in a, a day's work is something that I realized uh, we had in the early days and it helped a lot because um, we attracted these young people and they expected to be in a high-paced environment that stressed them out, but they didn't expect to be with colleagues who were truly genuinely happy to see them in the office for brunch, who were, who were really happy when somebody produced a good piece of work and they could work on it and add on. So I'd say sort of the, the gratitude towards everybody is for taking a gamble on the team and joining and putting in their effort. Um, that was a key thing. And I, you know, a decade and a half later, I still don't see that much of that in the workplace where, you know, you jump on a Zoom call and are you really grateful for the other person for, you know, staying up late or working or preparing for this meeting? Um, and we've tried to keep that attitude through as we add people. And, uh, you know, that, that, that's a really good asset. Yeah. That, I mean, that's, that's awesome. And it's, and it's wonderful that you became known for, you know, this, this positive dynamic culture. It's also, it's telling that that's something that you were very proud of. Um, I, I don't think that happens by accident. Uh, cultures will emerge whether you're intentional about it or not, but healthy, positive cultures don't just happen by accident. Uh, it takes a lot of time and effort. And if a leader or if a CEO doesn't really care all that much about having a positive culture, I can almost guarantee you that they won't have one. <laughs> um, and so clearly you cared and clearly you put, made it an emphasis and you put effort into it. Um, and you know all those things that go into to creating, maintaining, sustaining a positive workplace culture, those are the types of elements that, that you focused on. So that's, that's tremendous. And like you said, as you start to build out the team, then you, you have these new uh, individual challenges as you're trying to consider the scope and scale of different roles and uh, tasks and who's going to be responsible for what and and just developing trust amongst your senior team all of those things right play into um, then future decisions about how you're going to scale and the types of people you're trying to attract to the team do they fit with your culture do they fit with the the core values of the company uh, etc now embedded in all of that and something you were saying right at the tail end of your comment is gets us back to really what I want to spend the rest of our time focusing on today. And that is uh, the empathetic leadership uh, element. So I'm a believer that dynamic, uh, really positive, psychologically safe, innovative workplace cultures have kind of as a, as a necessary uh, condition that they have to have leaders with empathy, <laughs> leaders that, um, th that, care about the humanness of their people, of their team. Uh, anyone can, well, not anyone, but uh, any autocratic leader 
can kind of push and prod and use carrots and sticks and fear-based leadership to try to get results out of people. And, and autocratic individuals can do that and get short-term results uh, that look really, really good. Uh, and you can, you can blow people out of the water with quarterly earning reports and gains and all these KPIs and positive metrics. Um, but the sustainable type of positive outcomes of high performance teams, that really can only come about as you establish uh, mutual accountability and trust with your people, as you show vulnerability um, from yourself as a leader to your people and give them permission to show vulnerability back to you. And everyone knows that like you genuinely care, you have empathy, you actually want them to be successful. You want to support them and be there to, to help them grow not only in their job, but in their career, whether it's in your company or they end up leaving and going somewhere else to, to flourish in, in their career. I'm excited to announce the publication of my new book from HCI Press, Bluer Than Indigo Leadership, The Journey of Becoming a Truly Remarkable Leader. Early in my adult life, I learned about an Asian proverb that translates as bluer than indigo. If you think about the color indigo, it is a brilliant, deep, and vibrant blue. What some would call the bluest of blues. To have something that is bluer than indigo is rare and truly remarkable. Contrary to popular myth, there is no one-size-fits-all or cookie-cutter approach to effective leadership. There's no silver bullet, no secret sauce, no go-to model that will solve all of our problems. The truth is, great leaders have all had their unique strengths and flaws, and have all had to discover and then pave their own distinctive path in their life's journey to fulfill their leadership potential. Bluer Than Indigo Leadership will help you discover your own path and explore those ordinary everyday actions that will help you respond to an uncertain future and produce extraordinary results for individuals, teams, and organizations. But maybe you can talk a little bit more about the, how you see the role of empathy in creating that kind of a, a dynamic high-performance culture um, and if you, if you have an example or two yeah. about, about how that played out in your organizations. Yeah. So, and I guess zooming out, um, if, if for anybody who's working in a startup or who's running a startup, here's the, here's my observation of a truth, which is that there is no natural empathy. When you create a startup, it's because of the love for making something or it's, or it, you're running away from that sort of fear of mediocrity and trying to break out of the pack. And so what that lends itself well is to the autocracy. Now, autocracy is a strong word, but what it, what it naturally comes with is vision. You have a vision for where things need to go. You might be a very intelligent person and you might have an easy time maybe figuring systems out or maybe roadmaps and strategies out. So people who tend to start these small teams tend to have those things. And so empathy is not natural to them and it wasn't natural to me. And so for people working in those teams also recognize that your leader is going to struggle with this. Like they were not born with empathy. They might not have experienced an empathetic leader, but just recognize they have a spark within them. 
their need to excel in everything means that they also want to excel in the human elements of it. They just don't get enough feedback in the real world because in the business world, they get financials, you get sales, you get revenue, you get customer satisfaction, you get product development. There's a lot of metrics to help leaders keep them on the right path when it comes to the business metrics, but there's not enough feedback from people to keep them on the right path to grow as an empathetic leader. And so feel free to be that, that moral compass, be that thermometer and, and guide your leaders back and they will be grateful for it. And I know all the founders I know are very, very grateful for frank, honest um, teammates who, who want to build a culture and who are pointed and blunt when something is wrong and who are celebratory when things go right. Um, so that's the first thing, which is empathy is a muscle to build sort of together. Um, and it, it's not an easy journey. And I guess in our business, I obviously did not start out having any sort of empathy. Like all I understood was this is marketing, this is copywriting, this is design. Let's do a good job, guys. And I was utterly disappointed when I'd hired people. And of course, they weren't perfect. But in my head, they were supposed to be, you know, we just sacrifice all the money we had to hire you. Come on, make it work. Um, and so it's a process and um, like how that played out for us in later years was, you know, people have personal lives and things happen, you know, uh, parents pass away, partners are in, in health trouble. And, and we start seeing all of these things as we get to a slightly larger team and the probabilities of, of challenges hit people and their families. And so, you know, we're a startup with no money. We, you know, we don't know how to be profitable. And so what it required from me and the founders was essentially, you know, one of our colleagues lost their, their, their parent. This was the smartest person we had. They made the company run and they had to go. They, like, they had to go take care of stuff with their family. And what that meant was the non-existent money we had, we, we basically didn't take salary ourselves for six months or so while we support this person and they figure out their life and we take on their extra load of work and we rely on our spouses to help pay the bills while this happens. And, uh, you know, you think we'd learn our lesson the first time, but this has happened three or four times where, you know, cash flow wise, we don't know what, what the heck we're doing with finance. And so all we know is this is a team. These are people with lives. And if you can just sort of help them get through this moment, uh, maybe they'll stay with us, maybe they won't, but we'll feel good that we did something good in the process. And so, you know, you get few opportunities to demonstrate empathy, um, such big occasions like this, and you got to take them. And then you get, you get daily occasions. You, you walk into office with a cup of coffee and you can choose to smile and figure out what's going on with the person. Or you can start the day with that KPI or metric that you were expecting in the morning. So take a deep breath and hopefully for other leaders. And I had to learn to just take a breath and understand and, and like and love the person and then figure out that if I do that uh, selfishly, the results will be better in that organization, you know, a couple of months down. Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's the interesting thing, isn't it? Because the natural byproduct of showing empathy, like treating the people in front of you as human beings, being with them as a person <laughs> and valuing them as a person, um, the natural byproduct of that will be better results for the company, better results for the team. So there's a clear business case for this. Even if you're a cold-hearted capitalist, you just actually don't care about people, showing empathy <laughs> actually still is going to work for you. Uh, but then, of course, there's the human case of all of this. And that is 
these are people we're spending like the majority of our lives with when, especially when you're in a startup, you're, you're, you're burning the candle on both ends and, and you're spending long hours. And so even uh, perhaps more than a, a traditional job, um, I mean, you're spending hours and hours and hours with these people. Um, you, you need to make that environment a welcoming place where people feel like they're genuinely looked after and cared for. Uh, that's just a human need that we all have. We're social animals. Uh, and so if, if we're not paying attention to the human need, the, the, the you know, understanding the human case for all of this, um, at least we can understand the business case for it and just the, the, the pure dollars and cents of this is going to drive better outcomes for everyone. And we've had as good of an opportunity over this past 18 months as ever, I think, to really see the value of empathy in the workplace. During the pandemic, um, you know, I don't know exactly how things hit Singapore, um, but if, if you're anything close to how the rest of the world was, uh, there was major disruption, lots of anxiety and stress, um, lots of challenges and struggles as, as uh, workers and teams are trying to figure out how to do things remotely and continuing to just keep the doors open while, uh, you know, while everything's uncertain amidst all the uncertainty, right? And if ever there was a time in a place where we needed people to show genuine empathy and caring for each other, it's been during these last 18 months. And I think that those leaders that have been able to do that have stood out and it makes it all the easier now for organizations. Um, now, 18 months later, we're hopefully we're getting to the point where we're starting to emerge from the pandemic. Um, we know that companies are having a hard time finding talent. Uh, the great resignation and, and the battle for talent, the labor market is, is tough right now. And if you were a leader who showed genuine empathy and caring to your people during this, this last 18 months, they won't forget. They'll tell their friends, they'll tell their colleagues, and it's going to make it all the more, all the easier for you to, to attract and retain really great people, even amidst this really challenging labor market. I guess a good realization um, for a lot of people would be that this takes a long time. So the short-term impacts of empathy are probably negative on the PNL um, because you give that person who's not performing an extra four months to discover that they're not performing rather than you, you know, putting it in front of their face. Um, or, you know, like I said, they're employees with challenges and you can literally only hire one more person for one more month, but you have to find a way to sacrifice and, and make a deal to support them. So in the short term, it is tough financially to be empathetic. And in the long run, it is very, 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 very profitable um, because that organization just mushrooms on its own full of good people. Whereas otherwise you're kind of struggling with churn and, and you know, you have a reputation as a mean boss. So I don't want to wave away the, the realistic short-term impact of that. And it is tough on startups and their PLs and their investors. Um, but for people who who realized that a, a life cycle of a business is measured in decades and not months for them, then it suddenly starts to make a lot more sense from a business perspective. And I, I know I am fascinated with people. Uh, when I got started, I was, I was studying topics like NLP and I trained to be a hypnotherapist. And so for me, it's a natural fascination to understand what the heck is in our noggin. Like, you know, how does our brain work and how we process emotions? Like very this week, I just discovered this is going to be weird, maybe if you're of a different type of person than I am, that not everyone has an inner monologue. 
my brain is a busy mess of words and it talks back to me all the time. Mine too. <laughs> yeah. But I just discovered and I spoke to my wife and I realized she has no voice. No, she, she's shapes and patterns and colors perhaps, uh, but there's nobody talking back there. And so when I think she's like sitting there and we're having a, a you know, an argument or, or a problem, we're not. She's already passed the problem and she's already imagining something else while I'm litigating something from, you know, 10 years ago. Um, and so people are fascinating. They have a map of the, the world and they take the same information that I see in my eyes and ears and they process it differently. And for me, that is just so much fun in building a team, just to discover what people's strengths are and weaknesses are and how they're, how this whole thing works. Um, and so one last thing I want to say before I kind of leave from the marketing industry, which might be a useful insight for some people, we uh, earned a sort of a nickname towards the 15 year mark of our business as the misfits of marketing. And all that is, is it's a verbalization of something that's unsaid, which is that this is an industry that attracts people who don't fit the mold. Like you couldn't become a banker or maybe you could intellectually, but emotionally you couldn't sit in that chair and and follow those same rules and patterns again and again for success. And uh, so you wanna do weird stuff. You wanna do one-time things. You wanna make something and there may be never an outcome of it again. And maybe you like words and everybody else around you like math or vice versa. Um, and so, you know, just recognize the weird. And for us, that was really what made it click eventually. We realized that people who come to us are probably not gonna fit a normal organization. And so just opening up and embracing them uh, in our organization, like they finally feel at home, they can, you know, show their weird and uh, work the way they want to work and people can respect the outcomes. Um, and so that's an interesting insight for anybody else who's trying to create something, you know, high performance, but it doesn't, you know, there's no pattern to it and there's no process to it. This might be it, just verbalize the fact that the people you attract are struggling to fit elsewhere and they'll have the patience and time and love to kind of fit into this organization. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much for the time you've been sharing with us and the insights you've shared today. I, I note the time and we're getting close to the end of our time. Uh, before I let you go, I wanted to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can get connected with you, find out more about your companies, your team, uh, and then give us a final word on the topic for today. Yeah, um, well, if you can find me, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, that's R-A-C-H-I-T-D-A-Y-A-L. Um, and I'm we're going to go live pretty soon, but next month, there's a whole bunch of videos coming out and I love exploring the brain and the mind and the heart and, you know, through the startup world. So if you like this topic, then do follow me and tag onto those videos. And uh, I guess my final word on the topic um, is that all of these good things that you hear and you aspire to and you read about don't come naturally. And you just you know, if you're the type of person who's listening to the podcast, you probably have a curiosity to get better, to learn some new stuff, um, you know, you know, to hear examples. And that's really the spark. Like, just keep that alive. Everything else on the path, you'll figure out and yours will be a unique path. But what's probably common to all of us walking that different roads is, uh, is that curiosity Then we love people and figuring out people and the structures and organizations. And that spark is magic. So just keep it going. Well said. Thank you so much for joining me today. I, I appreciate all of your insights. I encourage listeners to reach out, to get connected, find out more about what Rachid and his team can do for you. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe. They can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week.
the alchemy of truly remarkable leadership, ordinary everyday actions that produce extraordinary results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years. With increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition, the average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. Check out Human Capital Innovations magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free interactive e-magazine with the mission to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We publish issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Take a look at the latest issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.